Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Janelle. Before we get started with the episode, we have a brief message from Ryan. What's happening, Brew Theology listeners? Ryan here. Wanted to give you a quick update of what's going on in my personal family, the Miller Time Tribe in Denver, Colorado. After a long year, very long year, my wife and I have decided that we are actually going to move from Denver, Colorado to the great state of Texas. And while we're going to miss our friends and our family that we've made here in Denver the past seven years, uh, this decision is something that uh, we feel is best for our family moving forward. My wife has a new job in outpatient medicine at a clinic in Waco, Texas, and that puts us right in between both sets of family. My family is in Austin, Lauren's family is in Dallas, and so uh, while Denver will always be our home, we raised both of our girls here, and Lauren and I have actually spent nearly 10 years total in the great Mile High City. Uh, We are headed back to our roots, going back to Texas, and some of you may know this, I went to Baylor University, and Lauren did too, that's where we met, and so we will be uh, doing the whole sick and bears thing, and I actually look forward to starting a brew theology chapter there and just finding new community, but uh, nothing will ever replace the community that we have had and made in Denver. And so the great news about this moving forward is that I will continue to be a part of the Denver community via podcast, and that you listeners know, um, Janelle and I have spent a lot of a lot of time on the podcast together with our friends here in Denver. We're going to find ways to which I'm going to be piped in, and it's like I'm sitting there drinking a beer with you guys. And so uh, that's going to continue. Also, our Denver chapter has amazing leaders, and people are going to be stepping up when um, when we leave. And so Janelle will not be left alone. And also, just want to let you guys know that at any point, you can always contact me, Ryan at BrewTheology.org. BrewTheology is not going away. Janelle and I will still be hitting up festivals. In fact, there's one coming up in Austin, the New Story Festival in September, and I will definitely be there. And so, uh, again, thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And uh, as you may know, this was not an easy decision for our family, uh, but... Uh, that's the plan. Waco, Texas, summer of 2020. And no need to worry. Brew Theology, the podcast, the alliance, and the multiplicity of autonomous communities across the interfaith spectrum will continue to thrive and to pop up. And so I look forward to continuing this process of brewing theology with you all on the interwebs and in any city or state that you find us. Peace. We are finishing up our discussion on internet diatribes. We're going to pick up where we left off, where Rob was asking us the question, can we afford not to engage in these discussions? Ryan's going to start us off, and in the room are Rob, Brian, Ryan, and myself. If you want to know more about Brew Theology, you can find us at www.brewtheology.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology and on Twitter at Brew underscore Theology. If you've liked this episode, please make sure to rate it and share it and get the word out about Brew Theology. So let's continue on with our discussion about internet diatribes. So I was at Buffalo Wild Wings recently. Oh yeah. Because it's football season and my Dallas... Did you hit the overtime button? <laughs> my Dallas Cowboys <laughs> were not playing, which is rare because the Broncos were playing on Fox at the same time. So Broncos, you know, they're going to get that one. So I'm there, and, and I'm amazed. I haven't been to Wild Wings in years. And I'm looking around the room, dude. There is Raiders, Eagles, Vikings, Colts, Cowboys, all kinds of fans. Broncos, obviously. And 
everyone's there's like a how many TVs? I mean, dude, there's like a hundred and something TVs. And you can you can watch, you know, whatever game, but you can also see the other games and you can see the other fans. People are going crazy and they're cheering. And the next thing you know, you're talking to people who are and this happened to me, an Eagles fan. He's playing the Lions. Cowboys are, you know, they're playing the Dolphins. And we're talking about our division. It's like it's so weird because typically like Eagles and Cowboys fans, for instance, they, Janelle, you gotta know this, they hate each other. Okay. Hate. It is like, no, really, it's, it's, like, it's like Hillary and Trump. It's, I mean, it's that intense. And I'm not kidding. If you go to Philly, by the way, and you're on the opposing visiting like team, you kind of want your team to lose. Because if you walk out of that stadium with your jersey on, you will, I mean, you could probably get pissed on, right? I mean, they'll... I, I have no idea. Philly, I heard Philly, the stories of the playoffs. For Philly sure. fans are the worst, man. So I say all that to say, like, you know, when you turn to your neighbor, right, in that kind of environment, and you're like, you, know, you get over, you're like, oh, yeah, I hope your team loses today. And then you just start talking, like, there's something about that. It's like this, this jersey, this team. Like, what, what, what is that? What does that really stand for? So I, I wonder about that with our politics. I wonder that with our, our religion. Like, if we're we often talk about politics and religion, which are the two topics that you're not supposed to talk about. Okay, sports would be another divisive one as well. I mean, I think people. I mean, especially if you look at football, soccer is even crazier than NFL football. You know, in America, as far as divisiveness. So if you can do it in sports. And you can get away from your team's colors. Is there a way to do this within evangelicalism and mainline people? Okay, I think, and, and I think I think those two people specifically speak to the politics of our time. Get rid of the jersey for just a second. <laughs> Learn to lean in. Yeah, I mean, sports is a little bit different. Where at the end of the day, yes, people get really heated. They get really intense about it. But at the end of the day, they. On some level, they realize it doesn't really matter. Where when people talk about religion, you're talking about potentially your eternal place. Yeah. I, I agree. With politics, I, I agree you're with talking you. about. I mean, you're talking yeah. about life and right. death so, situations. So I, I, I will agree with you in principle, and as as somebody who's, I can break it down, get away from my fan self, and say, yeah, you and I could agree on that. But dude, sports, um, dude, so domestic violence. What day of the week? What? No, really. What day of the week do you think statistics go up with men beating their wives? I'm just curious. Do y'all know this? Yes. You're Sunday. probably gonna say Sunday. Yeah. Super Bowl Sunday. Sex trafficking, sex abuse, domestic violence. Like, so this is no joke. Like, sports create it creates some warlike tribal religious. Pl- I don't know what it is. I think it's just as crazy. Now, you and I can take a step back and go, yeah, sure, yeah. Um, and maybe we can say the same thing. Can we, can we do this in politics? Can we do this in religion? And I, or is this, and I'm going back to the privilege thing again, is this, do you have to have, maybe, maybe even not an educated self, a breath, going back to like when Rabbi Stephen talks about God, right? We've had Rabbi Stephen Booth and the Dove on here. God is, ah, it's a, there's a breath. There's like, take a, just take a, sorry, Stephen. This isn't, this, isn't, to- this isn't Stephen. I was about to say, say take a fucking breath. And if, but most people don't do that in sports or politics or religion. Has anyone tried to convert you at your dining room table? Yeah, I mean, sure. I've I've had issues with my brother for years, but we still love each other. Okay, what about a like a friend that's worried about you and wants to know where you are with Jesus and is going to pray a prayer with you to get you right with Jesus? Uh, I've I've had my some of my parents' friends ask about you know they of course they're not going to tell me specifically, but they're going to go through my parents. Well, is that a, is I that, don't is that a friend? I, and I'm not trying to place judgment on whomever you're referring. It was to. somebody staying in my house. Isn't that, I mean... And, and so, like, there's no way, I can't, there's no way to, like, go Chiefs my way out of that. Like, you're, you're <laughs> telling Chiefs. me in my face that I'm going to hell. Well, and, and but 
on some level, isn't that a sign that they're concerned for you? I mean, that's I'm their, not there yet. Right, but that's I'm, their that's their belief. And while I would agree with you that I or, or I would agree that I don't agree with that belief, can't you take that in a way where they're concerned about you? Like these are their beliefs. They're concerned about you and your eternal place. And just explain to them, be like, you know, I just I just don't agree that that that's um I'll probably get there someday. Yeah. I th- but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about can we find a way to kind of neutralize this and all come to the table? And I can't do that when you're still sitting in your chair worrying about my eternal destiny. Well like there's there's no way around that. Well well, wait a minute though. That is what we're talking about, I think. Because the neutralization is is I feel like I mean you're obviously speaking about a personal example and I'm not you so I also don't want this to sound preachy like Janelle this is how you should take this and handle it but like here's how I'm perceiving the situation tell her how she should feel exactly exactly so my perception of the situation is the neutralization is the ability to take the breath and go like I'm not going to hell I'm not and this thought of like, this person cares for me. Like this person cares for my place. I, I, and, but it, there are, and if they but don't, I'm not is sure it a friend? They do. They want to win. They want you on their scorecard. Well then I brought her back from the brink and sure. now she's going to heaven. Sure. Like I brought her from the brink of alcoholism because yeah. now she drinks. And right. so is this sure. about, is this about agendas? So if, if, if you have a friend and they have an agenda, then they're no—they're not a friend. You can't be at the table with them. Is that what this comes down to? Not, I, I don't know. I'm just saying. Not necessarily, but th- that's why this is messy. Go ahead. There, go ahead. I, there's, there's something when you're talking about religion. Yeah. And and in and out. Yeah. There's something there at the table that's a little different than a political argument, a sports argument. I mean, those things are important and they matter, but like. When someone is judging your eternal soul, yeah, like I, it doesn't matter if I accept that they're loving me in that judgment or not. Like you're still being a judgmental jerk, and that's not going to go away. Sure, like you still think I don't belong here, yeah, and that's not going to change. So, it's so, interesting because I tend to take the opposite perspective, where I have friends like that, and it kind of frustrates me when they don't sit me down and say, "You know, you're going to hell. Let's talk about this." Because I'm like, "You really don't care if you think I'm going to hell." And you can't at least step up and have that conversation with me. You really don't care about me, I guess. You're just going to let me go and waste away and burn in eternal flames. And so (laughs) I talk about my, or I talk to my wife about this a lot, you know, with some of her friends. I'm like, I can't believe they don't bring this up more. They think I'm going to hell and they don't have, they they must not really care about me on some fundamental level that so. (laughs) Um, and that's, I had a friend who said, he's like, if really, if a lot of Christians actually believed in hell, they would do what, Janelle, what your friend tried to do with you right. more often. Yeah, if, exactly. Whereas like most people like, no, nah, they don't really believe in it. I mean, if you did, if you really did believe, they're like, you know, you guys are going to be burning in flames because you're not a Protestant like us over here. Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I would do whatever it takes. I'd have you over to my house all the time. I'd be talking to you about the certain Jesus that I think is true and how your Jesus is wrong, you know? Well, and, you know, to, but the other thing, too, is, yeah, there, there's probably a ton of Christians out there who are like, I know your heart, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bringing this to you because you're a good person, or I know your heart, or whatever, like, and they're, you know, and they want to be polite, and they're harmonizers like me, right? But, so, something I feel like, first of all, uh, Martin and Palmer talk a lot about brokenheartedness and the, the breaking open of the heart, like, they're totally, like, they're like, oh, God, you know, like, 
the world and society break our heart, but like, how can you break your heart open as opposed to like, just letting everything just get crushed into oblivion. And when I say, is that person really a friend? I guess what what I caught myself thinking in that moment was, well, it's also like, you're not going to write that person off. And if you feel like they're being the, if, if you feel like they're coming to the conversation with the, with the whole them and you know, my, my hope in a conversation like that for myself, I'm not trying to put myself in your shoes was that would be that I could come to the conversation as my whole self with them. Right. Like I speak what my truth is to them. The only way this really works is if there's a reciprocal, we don't all have perfect conversations. That's not what I'm trying to bring up. But if there's a reciprocal amount of both truth speaking and humility to like, I might be wrong. And with religion, to your point, there's some people who are like, it's black and white, heaven and hell. You know, you're going to hell if you're not saved and you didn't go to the altar call. I'm not sure what to do with the people in that conversation who I, who maybe I'm having a conversation with with that. I, I think maybe my approach to be the whole of who I am would to discuss what my beliefs are and what my experiences have been and say, hey, I'm willing to be wrong, but here's what, here's what my experiences have been. Here's what I believe at this point in time, share it and know that I'm not going to convert anybody and to not be worried about converting anybody, but to show up as who I am in that conversation and that being the best I can do. Again, it's all contextual. You know, your friend was, you know, trying to make a pitch, right? And and I don't necessarily think your friend's wrong to the point of like the care, all the caring bit we've been talking about. Well, but here's, here's the contrast. I do a lot of work in the larger interfaith community in Denver, and I've had some interfaith experiences this year, and nobody's tried to convert me. And we all sit at the table, and we look at the common good, and we look at what needs to be done around the city and around the world, and we bring our differences to the table, including our headscarves and what we eat for lunch or whether we can eat lunch this month. And we sit down and we do the work. And when I sit down with, when I've sat down with conservative evangelicals, that, that's, that's not on the table. Either love Jesus or go to hell. And I would, I, would, I would actually say that's a certain type of conservative evangelical that you're speaking of. I don't think it's well, all. It's not all of them. Right. No. But, but I, I've seen how it works, that it can work in the midst of difference. And it just is heartbreaking, and it's personally heartbreaking when people that you care about aren't willing to come that far. They're not willing to come to that line. They're sitting on the, what is it, the goal box thingy, the end zone thing down there. <laughs> the, I'm going to blame that on migraines. The, the bench? I don't know. What the, do you the, look the, at? The sideline? The, the end the zone. The end zone. Yeah, sure. that they're, thing. They're, they're down there. And the I'm, zone, I'm, in, I'm in the middle. I'm on the 50-yard line. Sure. And they're not willing... To come my direction at all. Well, there's a major difference in in perspective there, where a lot of the folks that you work with in in interfaith stuff are first and foremost humanists. They're most concerned with Mm -hmm. the human condition and and helping people in this time. The evangelical Christians that you're talking about are not necessarily God is holy, humans are sinful. They're not totally concerned with humans. They're first and foremost concerned with God. And, and that's kind of a modern shift where we, you know, we've seen in the last couple hundred years that people are really, in the West generally, more humanist than they are Christian or Muslim mm-hmm. or Jewish. 
And so, you know, I mean, that's a whole different thing, but getting really down to what really is their religion? What is their perspective? What is their priority? And, and, and so, I mean, I mean, when you get a bunch of humanists that come together and say, oh, I come from a Jewish tradition, I come from a Christian, I come from a Buddhist, then yeah, they can all get along because really they're coming from the same perspective where your friend clearly is not. Yeah. I mean, we, we get militant uh, Muslims and Buddhist and Jewish people in the room and they would be just like these types of conservative evangelicals as well. How do you, how do you remain in a place of wholeness in this act of rebellion where you have chutzpah, as they speak of here? Is this Palmer that talks about chayv and chutzpah? Yeah, chutzpah and humility. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is like brazen tenacity, right? Mm-hmm. And humility, which is, I will listen. I will love you. I will wash your feet. I will do the Jesus thing, right? How do you do both? Jesus did both. Je- I mean, that's the example that I have is somebody who flipped tables and washed feet. That's, that's the chutzpah and that's the humility. How do you have that? What does that look like for you all? I'm curious. These, this, these are... Some qualities that I don't, I mean, I've definitely fall short every day, but I love it. I love the idea of it. Well, to set the expectation here, let me go back to the the quote. It's an act of rebellion to show up as someone trying to be whole. And I would add as someone who believes that there is a hidden wholeness beneath the very evident brokenness of our world. And somebody who wants to say that somehow part of that hidden wholeness is love. Part of that hidden wholeness is our fellow, fellow feeling for each other. Part of that hidden wholeness is a desire to make this thing work and work it out together. The act of persisting in all these fundamental beliefs that something better is possible, I think is courage. And I try to call myself to it every day. And I often fail. That's the Palmer and Martin kind of joint quote from. Uh, I, I like that he says, I often fail. Well, they both said it. I mean, they, they sort of both were like, yeah, I often suck at this. So to me, part of the, the chutzpah is like, to what we've been talking about, he says, I mean, no, uh, he says, I mean, knowing that I have a voice that needs to be heard and the right to speak it. Like that's the chutz, that that's, that's the chutzpah. Like the, you've got a voice yeah. and you have the right to speak. Gird your loins. Here yeah. we go. Let's bring yeah. it. You should be heard, right? Like that, that's who you are. And the humility to know that you may not be right or you may not be fully right. And so I think part of the chutzpah is part of what we've been talking about, which is like, I interact with people like Janelle, your example, I interact with people, right. Who I know aren't, I'm not going to like convert them in the moment. And if I can figure out a way to approach that conversation for myself to try and show up as who I am and also to, to, to speak to my truth or experience and maybe ask questions and then, and hope that that plants a seed. Like to me, that's sort of the chutzpah for me. Um, because I'm, I'm Mr. I mean, that's my personality. I'm Mr. Harmony. I'm Mr. Uh, I actually don't think it's important to have an argument over this or whatever the case. So I'm Mr. I'll back off. And so for me, having the chutzpah to say like, wait a minute, like, hold on. The greater truth here is that like for me and my dad, right? Like, how could I vote for a Democrat when abortion, man? Um, And so like having that conversation with my dad about like, my experience and education and like uh, my beliefs around uh, how we treat human life in society. I'm hoping that I know my dad's not going to be like, great, I'm going to vote for a Democrat, but I'm hoping in the conversation, he can understand that like a vote for a Democrat doesn't mean that I want to murder innocent yeah. children. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> it's, 
I'm trying to show up whole as who I am, which I'm not good at. I fail at a lot. And because it's easy for me to blend in too, when I need to, if I need to blend in when I, you know, if I, if I need to, that's mm-hmm. easy for me. I'm a white middle-class dude. I'll just blend right in. So the chutzpah and humility thing, like it's actually hard to think I might be wrong. And it's also hard to um, have some humility and understand that like not every vote for Trump is someone who understands or believes I'm also not like trying to whitewash everything. Like there's some racism in our world. Don't get me wrong. But like not every single person I know personally who voted for Donald Trump wants to have racist policy in our country and to eliminate opportunities for marginalized people and eliminate rights to marginalized people. So how do I have that conversation with some humility uh, to, to be together in difference with people who I know and love who voted for Donald Trump? Yeah, and that's that's the uh, thing that both kind of tribal parties would say, uh, the lesser of two evils. That's what you heard a lot throughout the election sure, of 2016. Sure. Of Was that 16? Yeah. Yeah. And in a both... A million years ago. Yeah. <laughs> feels feels like a long time ago, but yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I mean, people who voted for Trump, they they were the goodness of their heart, like you were saying, like they, they, don't, they don't want racist policies. They're not, you know, they're not people who are misogynistic, but they're... They were, they were trying to like do the lesser of two evils. And I heard the same thing from people of Hillary. And I, I was one of them too. You know, I'm like, oh man, like I'll admit it online. I voted for Hillary, but man, it was hard for me to do that. It really was. So I was doing the lesser of two evils. Um, com- there's common ground there with both, with both. I mean, it's the extremist Janelle and you brought up an extremist. That's really difficult. That is hard. But I think you can come with your whole self um, with people who are, are, are different who are both conservative and liberal. I think it's, I think it is possible. And I think, it, it, you know, we talk about abortion. We talk about, we can talk about uh, same sex marriage, like the big ones, right. That have come up in the last five, 10 years. And I think that if you can get down to the basics and the essence of humanity, going back to humanism that you were talking about, Brian, you're going to, you're going to find that you're both going to see eye to eye, even if you're going to land on different policies. Something we suck at, frankly, like something we really suck at with your, I don't know, like one thing I I do believe, like, I don't want to be naive. Like, I think, I think there are, I think racism exists. Like, overt racism still exists. And, like, overt discrimination still exists. But something we all, something I suck at, and I think about a lot, is how good of questions I ask, frankly. And whether I'm really genuinely asking open, honest questions. We, I suck at that. I don't see it modeled that great everywhere, but like, who am I to say whether we all suck at it or not from, and again, this comes from a privileged position, right? But asking a question in a, you know, real life scenario, when you're with somebody who's different from you, like an open, honest, genuine question, like talk to me about why it is that you feel like you're trying to convert me at my table. Sorry. I, I wish we could come up with a different example because I don't want to put you on. I don't want to keep putting your example on the spot. And we generally kind of suck at questions because that's sort of also how you get people to really, if you can convince somebody you really give a shit about their answer, which is also difficult. And you ask good questions to get to, to, to force someone to essentially like discuss their position. That can be a powerful way to listen to them. And they might ask you the same question back. They may not. And you can share your thoughts, but like we generally suck at questions. Man, all you got to do is hate, hate to throw us under the bus. <laughs> yeah. Come every fourth week to a dimmer brew theology 
and you're going to get at least two questions minimum where it's not a question. It is a leading question that's a statement. <laughs> and you'll, there's some speakers who will kind of call it out in a nice way. Is, there, is that a question? You know, it's like, yeah. but they're, you know, they're trying to like, eh, help me understand. I mean, even, even those in our group that are trying to like understand, like the questions are really statements. Yeah, I mean, yeah. good questions aren't. No, you're exactly, exactly. Yeah, so right. even in a group that is that is like the the essence of it is this content tonight. Like we suck at it. You know, it's yeah. like it's like what they say here. And I often fail. Sure, <laughs> I I fail at asking good questions because the, yeah, the question is really like I want you to even if I want you to answer it, I want you to answer it according to to what I'm thinking, how you should answer it. Sure. It's, yeah. Sort of demonstrating what I mean, right? But if you can really convince somebody you give a shit about their answer and you can ask a good, open, honest question, that can be like, that can bring people closer together. That can help you understand stuff that feels like, what in the world? I don't know. That could be challenging though. I mean, I love Socratic method, sure. right? I mean, Socrates would always, with all of his students, was constantly question whatever they said. And, and try and get them to defend their position logically, right? Well, if you're questioning someone, asking them, and you're thoroughly interested in, in their faith or their religion, I mean, let's be honest, there's no logical response to faith and religion. So where, you know, ultimately, I guess my question is, where, where does that get you when you're, when you're questioning someone? You're asking good questions, but it's about something that's illogical. Well, And, that, and I'm engaged no, in that conversation is... right now with a really good friend of mine, yes. with one of my best friends, where where I try to kind of put questions out there that hoping for a logical answer and it just kind of ends the conversation. I think that is fascinating, right? And what we generally get, right? This is actually, I think this is what I wrestle with, but I also find it interesting because I'm not sure in an open, honest, with an open, honest question that you're looking for reason and logic. That doesn't mean that you have to like, accept and take on whatever one shares with you, right? But you can keep asking questions, even if the answers are not logical. Well, what if there are no answers? I, think I mean, that's, can that, I give you an example? Yeah, please. Yes. Like, you know, one, one example from the Old Testament, say, is, you know, you always hear from evangelicals that God is holy, God is sovereign, right? God is, is good. And so anything God does, by definition, is good, right? Well, if you look at the Old Testament, can't you then say genocide is good. Couldn't you argue that? Because yes, there's you, multiple yes, times. You could. Right. Yeah. And so that, that would be a, a place where you're asking questions. I'm trying to figure out your view. Okay, so you say God is holy, God is good, right? So it, why is genocide bad then? Because if God orders or, or commits a genocide, how could that possibly be bad? So my response then might be, which I'm sure you've probably heard this response, like, I choose to believe that that there's also, you know, contradicting statements in the Bible to tell me that murder is bad. And so my position is genocide is bad because of these contradicting statements in the Bible. Let me take you a step. But then for, God can't be good and but, holy. But well, hold on. Let me take you first of all, now you're you're trying to you're trying to ask me to to defend with logic and reason, right? I'll take you a step further, right? You know what? I'm Christian. Let's throw out the Bible. I know Jesus, and Jesus tells me to be a good person and not murder people. I'm and I'm not and I and I'm I'm not a biblical scholar, Brian. So that's my answer. And and 
I'm not disagreeing. And that's a fine answer, but then sure. you're you're getting rid of the literal you're truth. You're a Marcionite. Of the Bible, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And then, then now you're just a, a mystic Christian. Sure. Which is fine. Yeah. But you know, the, the discussion I have with my friend is he's a literal interpretation. This is God's word. We have so, to literally interpret. So what does your friend say? I'm curious. He he doesn't answer. He he just literally kind of shuts down and and kind of in, in some ways refuses to answer and changes the subject mm-hmm. and, and comes back with a question. Uh, of his own, and um, and I've just gotten to the point where he's he doesn't a good say for every season turn turn. He doesn't he doesn't quote any of that stuff. You mean the birds? And sing, and sing the song, sing the song, and quote the quote the proverb, right? But also also like I time. <laughs> I'm not. That's the birds, baby. I, Great song. Great I don't. Song. I don't. So one of the beliefs I have, <laughs> I think so. I don't know. I think it's the birds. birds. Maybe the Beatles. With a Y. For every season, turn, mm. turn, turn. <laughs> but also, there like... There is a reason. The only the only thing that, that sort of helps me move forward in the conversation you're discussing is the belief. And I might be totally kidding myself. And I'm, I'm 100% willing... Thank you. It is the birds. Oh, birds nice. also. Birds. Solomon was the originator. Let's be honest. Sorry. Or whoever Every wrote, whoever wrote Solomon's words. So the only way I know Every to, poet ex- is a thief. <laughs> to exist in the world is to believe the things you're introducing into that conversation plant seeds. I mean, that's the only way. Now, that might be naive that's a good of point. me to believe, though. That might be naive. Some people might be like, Jesus, Rob, the good, the, that's high faith on your part. Good Lord, you see, here's crazy. The other thing but can you believe wanna... that if someone came to you and said, Rob, yeah. you're going to hell because your wife works outside the home. Sure, sure. And if you don't fix that, you're both going to hell. And that's your fault because yeah. you're not a good leader. You know what? You know why that you know what's most challenging to me in that scenario, Janelle? What's most challenging to me in that scenario is how I'm gonna continue to engage with that person. Well, yeah. I mean, and I think there's also a point to be made where at some point, maybe it's not healthy to continue to engage with certain people in your life. Sure. And that doesn't mean I have to hate them and I have to demean them. It's just, it's just letting, kind of letting the space be created there between you and that person. I mean, there's 7 billion people on the planet. Are we really going to be able to agree to disagree with all of them or be tolerant of all of them? No. That, that's... That's uh, that's so, and I think that yeah. this is actually a great place to say and name that in this topic, whether it's in an internet chat room or in your life or at work, you may experience abuse from someone that you are having engagement with, and that can be direct, it can be passive aggressive, it can be uh, like they sneak up on you with it every once in a while, and you don't have to take that. There is nothing in this world that says that you have to take that even. And you are not being weak or silly or stupid. If someone makes you feel demeaned and hurt and wounded all the time, when you interact with them, you have every right to walk away. And I just, I think it's really important to just name that what it is, because I think from the church background, when we would get into this space, well, you just need to give them grace they're just not where you are. Just give them grace and they'll learn from you. No, walk away and leave them to themselves and let them go find somebody else. You are not responsible for fixing them. Right. You are not responsible for redeeming them and you do not have to be abused by them. And if here, you here. feel like you're being abused, that is the only opinion that matters. So feel free to walk away, friends. Here, here.
Absolutely. There can be harmful relationships in our lives that can be hard to walk away from, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and what may, from the outside, look like two friends having a heated conversation, and they get along, and they hug it out, and that's fine. But maybe to you, one day, that starts to feel like you're being harmed. Then walk away, and it's okay. And you don't have to answer to anybody. Um, it's really important for you to practice that kind of embodiment and say that I'm uncomfortable with this. And especially I think it's important too for people that are very empathetic and can kind of sense and feel other people's emotions and, and these kinds of conversations maybe can feel even more intense. It's okay for you to make space around that too. And these, and I I say this and I make sure to say this because these are things I didn't know. I mean, I went for several decades of my life, not knowing this shit. If you're hurting, leave. If, if it makes you feel bad inside, walk away. If this person hurts you regularly, then tell someone. And if all of that is done with just words, it's still okay to walk away. Cheers. That That's a really important portion of the topic. I mean, abuse is not... It's not, it's a, not okay. And it's not engagement in any way, right? Like it's... You're not actually engaging when right. there's abuse. I think... And so like the example I just used with you a few minutes ago, that sure. person... Like, Rob, you, the truth is you don't have to talk to that person again. Yeah, right. Because they, they just like whacked you with a two by four. And yes, you may have to do work projects with them or you may have to see them at lunch, but you don't have to engage with them anymore. That's yeah. your choice. Sure. They don't have the right to treat you that way. Yeah. Don't be throwing pearls before swine. You know what they're saying? <laughs> Jesus said that. I don't think he meant that, but that's what we have thought that he, you know, over the years has meant by that. <laughs> Don't throw your pearls before swine. So imagine, imagine like swine back in the day. Like that's like calling somebody a mother, you know, whatever. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. You let's... filthy animals. <laughs> now I'm going to be Pulp Fictioning right now. Well, you don't, you don't eat pig. Pig's a filthy animal. You don't eat dog. Dude, that whole scene with John Travolta. Anyway, I could go off. <laughs> I got to revisit that film. That's Such a, a good movie. film. The dialogue movie. on that scene alone. So many scenes. Yeah. So pig is a filthy animal. Number five. This is a great question. We're going to end with tonight. People are like, "What is number five? It's on our sheet right now." By the way, we have we have content. We have curriculum. And Rob, you can own it. Rob actually has resources here. Books written by Peter Block, Parker Palmer. Krista Tippett in an interview. Podcasts. Along with Jonathan Sachs, The Dignity of Difference. Five different resources here. So question number five on our sheet says, when have you had an amazing experience with other people or a person that was unexpected, surprising, and perhaps delightful? I like that. That's such a Rob last word. Delightful. (laughs) You know it. Yeah. Well, Rob is very delightful, isn't he? (laughs) Man, I tell you, you listeners need to meet him. That's all I got to say. Even though this Baylor Bear and this Iowa State Cyclone are going at it this weekend, you still got to meet the guy. I actually didn't have an example in mind when I wrote this question. (laughs) But if I take a minute to think about it, um, there's been, I've had many times where this game. Really, where you kind of walk into a particular situation or a conversation with a friend or you hang out with somebody and you're kind of dreading it, like, oh, I hope that doesn't come up. I hope this doesn't come up. Oh, my God. Why Why am I hanging out with this guy tonight? And then at the end of the day, you you kind of figure out 
maybe you get the conversation going about sports or you get the conversation going about some memories you guys had, you know, back in high school. And, and you realize that there is a lot of commonality that you guys share. And, and there may be something fundamental that you disagree on, but your whole relationship doesn't have to be based on that fundamental disagreement that you might have, or it might not even be that fundamental either. There have been many experiences I've had that were unexpected and surprising, and when I reflect on it, they were delightful as well, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I think anytime, anytime I've been like involved in a... So I'm going to share a story... Uh, shared last week at Brew Theology by someone at my table, I won't say their name, who discussed like she was going to see, I might screw this up, but I think her grandmother was from England and she was going to see her grandmother's hometown and her grandmother emigrated to the US as a young girl. So when, you know, all of her family experience has been in the US, but she was going to her grandmother's hometown. So where her great grandparents were from and built a life for themselves. And she essentially, the Airbnb she was at, offered local tours. She contacted the Airbnb and said, okay, I see there's an Airbnb local tour on here. Could you modify the tour or customize the tour for a few sites that I want to go see. There's a couple cemeteries I want to go see, and I'd like to go see important, important different stops in town. And she said that a um, the host showed up, and it was a younger African gentleman who was driving her around and showing her the town. And they started discussing, like, basically history in England. He discussed a little bit of his family history and the slave trade. She discussed her family history in England. Um, they struck up this like really interesting sort of where they both were sharing their histories with one another, totally different people grew up in different places. And they were having this afternoon of sharing with one another, which she said was totally unexpected. They ended up meeting up the following day to go to a stop that they hadn't made the day before because they had so much conversation and so many different places to go visit. And then he ended up driving her to the airport and that none of that was like established and planned ahead of time. And I think for me, some of the most, and this is probably why I write about topics like this, some of the most unexpected and enjoyable experiences are those where you unexpectedly connect with someone where you're, you know, you get to talk a little bit about your history, what you care about, what you find interesting. I've found this in a lot of academic spaces. And I think that's part of the reason that I like really highly value education personally, right? This cut some of my personal experiences in education. But that was a really cool story that she shared about like unexpected, two totally different people from two different sort of socioeconomic places, definitely different racial backgrounds, different family backgrounds. Um, and it was a, a cool experience for her. Uh, one of the places where this happens in lots of ways, and it's easier to happen probably here, is at Wild Goose because we're all camping together for several days and we stay up late into the night dancing and drinking smells, and smoking cigars. The smells. But we ignore those. Full circle. <laughs> Full circle. Back to the smells. Um, but um, over the years that we've been there, there have been many late night conversations, like two, three in the morning that are unexpected and you walk into or it's raining and you all get stuck somewhere and have a conversation about politics or what's going on in the world and how you really feel about that. 
Um, but the big shout out will go to Bridget last year, who um, probably came really close to dragging me kicking and screaming to see Amy Grant. And um, you could ask a whole bunch of people how much I resisted this opportunity to relive my teenagehood. Um, but I have to be really honest. And Was it's, Amy Grant this year or last year? It was last year. Last year, okay. And so you're, it's, getting, it's on tape now, Bridget and Brian, that it was unexpected and surprising and delightful to listen to Amy Grant again and to realize that this, the words started coming out of my mouth and I didn't even know that they were still in there from that far long ago. And it was actually a beautiful concert and it was a very healing and redemptive moment for so many people that were in that crowd that had gone through so much with the church and evangelical culture. And Amy herself was very present and personable and so thoughtful about the venue she was in. I was totally surprised. And I'm really thankful that, that I went and, um, and was just able to experience that come out of me when I, w- I didn't even know it was still there. Now I want to hear you sing. Nope. Mm-mm. We could even do the secular baby, baby. <laughs> that's when she went off the deep end. Is that Amy Grant? Yeah, yeah that's really? when she that's got when cast she lost out. God. She backslid into baby, baby. <laughs> what is? <laughs> <laughs> well, so well. Oh man. Oh, the awkward pause. We're pausing. We're pausing. <laughs> We're laughing. We are, as Ron Burgundy say, we are laughing. We are laughing. We are laughing. <laughs> Let's backslide into Amy Grant one more time, shall we? <laughs> Amy Grant was one of my first concerts, by the way. Oh, I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> <laughs> Three words, unexpected, surprising, delightful. I had a friend seven years ago on social media. To be to go back full circle, and I and I was uh, kind of r- not ranting, but I had a thing on there was I was trying to find a church home. I moved to Denver for the second time after working in different churches, which all my church experiences were very unique and different. So I should have known that the answer was coming. And I'm looking for a very specific type of church. You know, everything from like my the the Jewish part of my Jesus story to uh, uh, liberation, you know, a little bit progressive, to I don't want the whole God is sovereign and holy and needs to be a little bit more open. <laughs> At the time, I was dabbling in open theism before I went full process. And this friend was like, I think you're going to be really surprised, and uh, it's going to be an unexpected sort of spiritual journey. Whatever you find, it's not going to be what you're looking for. And it's true, because <laughs> the community that I found... Uh, wasn't even your traditional kind of church. I mean, it was a uh, it was here in the Platte Park neighborhood. It was a community called the Table, and my friend Craig, who lives down the street, is a Christian Reformed pastor. Which is kind of funny because people in Denver don't really know him as that because he doesn't he doesn't like that's not his badge. That's not his thing. I mean, he's from Iowa and he is a CRC ordained pastor. But I mean, that's that's Calvinist, right? I mean, so as me, I mean, I'm like I I wasn't gonna look for a Calvinistic church, and you know, so he, you know, we became friends and. Which is kind of funny looking back at my buddy who was like, it's going to be something that you don't expect, right? I mean, because I'm looking, I'm looking for a pastor who's going to preach a theology that I agree with. And like, dude, Craig and I are t- 
totally would, you know, disagree on so many things. And we became, you know, friends and did ministry together for many years here in, in Platte Park and whatnot. So I think that's, uh, it's delightful, right? You look back and you laugh at yourself. You're like, huh, I still am that guy theologically, but like I am able to be friends and do ministry with somebody that is similar with common ground, but yet very different with theology anyway. Uh, and I, I, there's uh, several stories. I mean, churches that I work with in the past, and I'm like, I took that job, really? I would never have taken that job. And it ended up being a really good experience. And I'm not going to name those churches. <laughs> so one of the things that I also wanted to to mention just here at the end is, obviously, I have a lot of safety in this conversation, right? Because I, like, I am... Because of the, my position, right? Middle class, white dude. But something they talked about was, is it rebellious to actually show up and try and have conversation and be in difference with other people in our current society where it's, we, we're retreating to our sides? We're talking about how dumb the other side is. And that resonated with me, this idea of it being an act of rebellion to actually be with people who are different from you. And build on that in a way that's safe. Again, if safety's not there, to Janelle's point, which I think is so important, like then you can't you then then it's it's not a place where you can be. But um, I wanted to bring up that rebellion piece because I I do feel like as a liberal in today's society in the rage machine, maybe it's a small act of rebellion to to be in difference with somebody who's a conservative, a staunch conservative in today's sort of political climate, et cetera, and try and engage in real dialogue. So just wanted to bring that rebellion piece up. I think anytime we're trying to do something different than what's the easy norm, it's an act of rebellion. And I think um, I'm, I see this again in the interfaith community when you see Muslims, Jews, and um, Christians come together <coughs> to create a shared space or work on a, a shared endeavor they're going to get criticism from all sides, but the work that they're doing when they're working on that is they're making the world a better place. And that is a rebellion that, that I hope people will continue to do, or it's really all going to fall apart. I think the act of rebellion could be just as simple as let's focus on those things that bring us together. I think we mentioned before that we always tend to focus on those differences. And, and if we're really honest with ourselves, how much difference really is there between Republicans and Democrats? I mean, there, there really isn't too much of a difference Not in a, a two-party system. There, there really isn't. Um, and if we focused on those things that could bring us together, um, that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do because that doesn't, those aren't interesting headlines. Those aren't good topics to talk about on cable news. Those aren't worthy Facebook posts, right? <laughs> um, but when we have those individual conversations, kind of by default, that's what we tend to do. We tend to focus on those things that, that bring us together. And, and when you're with someone who always focuses on those things that separate you, then maybe yeah. that is a time to kind of take a step away from that person, that they can't see the common humanity yep. in that you and they share. Well, we would love to hear from you out there. If you guys have any strategies where you are resting in that place and yet engaging in that place of both chutzpah and humility, an act of rebellion that is making the world a little bit better and delightful, as Rob would say, then message us. 
Hit us up on Brew Theology. We actually have a group page, not just a well, is it page a group page? Page page. It's a page, it's a page page, and it's a group page. The page we do pa- have a group page. The group page. The group page is for interactive stuff. The page page is just like the advertising. Like this, here's what we're doing, and get on the group page and be a part of the group. But this is not just ditch. This is not ditch. You're not gonna ditch the internet diatribe. You're gonna get online. You're gonna engage. <laughs> So dismiss the content. No, I'm kidding. No. Keep the content, but yet engage in a healthy way. And we'd love to hear uh, those strategies from you. Uh, make sure you share this on the line at Brew Theology, Brew underscore on Twitter. And thanks again, Rob, for the content for the last two weeks here in Denver. It's been great. We know that right now, as we're speaking, Jacksonville has wrapped up a topic on minimalism. Woo. We've got Raleigh-Durham. There's other groups across the country. If you would like to start a chapter, just message Ryan or Janelle at brewtheology.org. Talk to you soon. Cheers. 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 Go Chiefs. <laughs>